There are a lot of things that matter to me. Family, community, culture, and peace of mind. Hi, it's Wilmer Valderrama, and when balancing life, I have to say nothing brings more comfort than having support. And when it comes to ensuring those things that matter to you the most, State Farm offers the support with an agent available in person or on the phone to discuss your coverage options. Support when you need it, however you choose. That's State Farm's way. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Freddie Prinze Jr., and welcome to Wrestling with Freddie, the brand new WWF. We're going to talk about my career that I had, as, as brief as it was with the WWE, my passion for wrestling as a kid, and the love and respect that I still have for it uh, to this day. Um, my time is limited to WWE, but with wrestling being in the shape it is now and wrestlers sort of becoming free agents and going to other places... I can actually talk a lot about other brands, too, because it's all shared now. Um, so you're going to hear a lot of stories. Some of them are going to be kind of crazy. Some will be super funny. Some of them are even kind of sad. But I feel like I have a good perspective on them. I'm not here to bum anybody out. Um, in today's episode, we're going to talk about how I got introduced to wrestling, which was the craziest way possible. Then we're going to discuss the moment I fell in love with wrestling. And then we're going to discuss the ridiculous circumstances of me being in Orlando, Florida at Ric Flair's retirement match, being in the room right next to Snoop Dogg, so you know what that smelled like, and then getting offered a job for the WWE, and for some reason I said yes. So that's what we're going to get into, and uh, now it's time to start the show. Now, stepping up to the mic, the host of Wrestling with Freddie, Freddie Prince Jr. Okay, so... Uh, for those of you who don't know, I got to take you back in time a little bit. My father was a stand-up comedian named Freddie Prinz, uh, hence the junior. And he was a big-time stand-up comedian, and he was so big-time they gave him his own show, and it was the number one show in the country for a very short period of time. And uh, he, uh, he died in 1977, uh, so they couldn't make any more TV shows. But the Puerto Rican part of my heritage, my grandma mainly, has always been obsessed with professional wrestling. My grandma will call it Lucha Libre. Freddie, come watch the Lucha. And so my mom wanted me to understand my father's side of the family and the culture there. And she would send me out to Puerto Rico every Christmas break and every, win uh, and every summer break. Uh, it was also a good time for her to find herself and got a vacation from her pain in the butt only child. <laughs> so she sent me out to Puerto Rico. And back then, I don't know if they still do it, but they would put like a little tag around your neck that says, I'm flying alone. And you would have, you know, a flight attendant help you on the plane and get off. And I landed in San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico, and my papal, William, picked me up. He was a butcher, and he was big and buff like a pro wrestler. 
And uh, he drove me to Boquerón, Puerto Rico, where my grandmother lived. And my grandmother had posters on her wall of old school matches at the Carlos Colon Arena in San Juan. And we would watch American wrestling and lucha wrestling pretty much every day. That and a weird cartoon called Silverhawks, which got me into anime too. But other than that, it was wrestling. And she, as did many back then, was fully convinced that wrestling was 100% real and that these fights meant something and they were important. And the Puerto Rican fans really believed in, in their person winning because their person was the good guy. They hated the heels. And those will be some terms you hear me use sometimes, heels and baby faces. Heels are bad guys. All like the hardcore wrestling fans are like, dude, we know, but there's some that aren't. And all the good guys are called baby faces, whether you're men or women. So, uh, so the baby faces have to win in Puerto Rico, at least back then. I don't know how it is now. And uh, we started watching it on TV, and I asked if we could go to, uh, to see a match live. I'd never, I'd never been to one. And uh, she goes, yeah, okay, okay. So we get tickets, and my grandma was like a baller in Puerto Rico, okay? Her son was Freddie Prinz. Puerto Rico really claims him, even though he's only half Puerto Rican, which makes me a quarter, quarter Rican. Um, that's what a comic named Paul Mooney called me when I was like 12 years old. He's like, you ain't even Puerto Rican. You're, you're, you're a Puerto Rican. Um, but anyway, uh, so she drives up to uh, San Juan. She had this great Cadillac, right? And uh, she gets the treatment, man. And I didn't know anything about my dad at this point. So I just thought my grandma was like the governor of Puerto Rico or something. So she gets to park right up front. And uh, this guy sits outside and he says, I'll watch the car. I didn't know that man he was going to sit there the whole time. When we came out, he was in the same spot and the dude watched the car. <laughs> like it was, she had, she had clout. So we go and we get right up close and uh, we're there really early too, by the way. And they're putting a cage around the ring and I'm, you know, eight years old, a third grader. And I asked my grandma, I said, Oh, it's a steel cage match. I, you didn't tell me it was a steel cage match. She said, no, that's to keep the wrestlers safe. I said, what do you mean? She goes to keep them safe from us. I said, what? And I didn't really understand until the show started. And the fans, I mean, a lot of you'll remember the story of like Yankees fans or whoever it was, they were like throwing batteries at that pitcher, John Rocker. Um, and I, I think that's who it was. That's how it was here. Like any food that was brought was thrown all over these guys. And all they're doing is walking to the ring and it's not even a steel kit. They didn't, not one wrestler used the cage as a weapon. Like they're just having regular matches, but I'm watching the crowd almost as much. I'm like excited just talking about this right now, like shaking for real, like adrenaline. Um, I'm watching the crowd as much as I am the matches because this was, it was a little scary for me. And uh, so we go back home and we're watching wrestling. And she said, did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And I would wrestle with her. She was the first person to ever hit me with a, with a Ric Flair chop. And she hit hard, man. She's a tough Puerto Rican girl. Grew up in Puerto Rico, moved to New York. Had to be tough out there too. So she was no joke. And uh, I would watch wrestling with her every single week. And then I went back to New Mexico where I was living with my mom and uh, there was a wrestling match that was coming. The WWF was coming to Albuquerque, New Mexico in this little place where the, they had the rodeo called Tingley Coliseum. And when I say it had dust on the floors, I don't mean dust. I mean dirt because it was actually a rodeo and they didn't put hardwood floor in, in there in between the rodeos. It was just dirt. So there's a wrestling ring, bleachers, 
and a dirt walk up basically with some rolled out you know tarp for them to walk down it was it was you know new mexico wasn't the richest state in the country so uh so we go and our seats are awful so a smaller place and there were a lot of pillars holding it up and i'm not joking our seats are right behind the pillar and uh so i can't see anything and i sneak down uh towards the railing where all the wrestlers are coming out and it was like a battle royal i think is is what it was because there was multiple wrestlers already in the ring and then all of a sudden here he comes and it's the ultimate warrior and he's running down the ring and right when i see him like come out of the backstage area this security dude catches me right and he knows i'm not supposed to be down there and he puts his hand on my shoulder and the warrior's like running down and I'm not resisting, you know, I'm a kid. I think I'm nine now, maybe, maybe, maybe 10. And, uh, but I want to see, you know, I want to see the warrior and the warrior veers to the right, like close to the rail. And he goes, it's okay. And he puts his hand on the security guard and he goes, he's with me. Now I wasn't, but he was being good to the kid. Right. And it's not like this place was sold out. Like he was just, having this moment i remember what he smelled like it was a mixture of baby oil sweat and dirt from the from the rodeo and the tassels around his arms like the things you would put on your bicycle in the 80s if you were like you know a little girl on your bike with a basket i felt them on my face and because of the baby oil they like stuck to my cheek and slid off as he like ran to the ring and i'm looking at this guy and it was still real to me. And he was a superhero. And the security guard obeyed. He, li he listened to it. He did what he said. And the Ultimate Warrior is in no position of, of power over this guy at, at his job. The guy's doing the right thing. But he obeyed him. And so they became these magical characters to me. And I watched the brand. And then um, here's where all the hardcore fans will hate me. Then when it became the uh, the Attitude Era was when I started to tune out a little bit because I I didn't like a lot of the uh, the storylines they just played more more goofy to me. That said, I watched all the matches because those were some of the greatest matches that I ever saw in my life. Still to this day, um, they they had so much time to work and you would really commit to the character that was built up so that when they had a match, they didn't have to have a lot of time on the microphone. You could just get to it um, or get to it. Get is because I'm from New Mexico and that's close to Texas. Anyway, uh, they became these like sort of special, magical, magical characters to me. And so I kept watching, I kept watching, I kept loving it. My grandma, God rest her soul, it was so real to her. My wife, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, made a movie with The Rock years ago called like Southland. I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't the best movie, but they made a movie together. And for those of you who know, The Rock went from being the people's champion. He was a baby face champion to becoming a heel champion, meaning a bad guy. And he became the corporate champion. My grandma hated him. She, he was her favorite. He was handsome, right? Still is. Uh, he was great on the microphone. He could wrestle and bounce around the ring like he weighed a buck sixty, but he looked like he was sculpted from stone, like Ares or some other Greek god. And he had the people's eyebrow, which if you don't know about the people's eyebrow, you just need to YouTube that. 
There's literally like three minute montages of it. It's the most powerful eyebrow in the history of sports entertainment. And he can just do the one where you, I've never been able to do it. And I'm telling you, I like this guy so much that it was something I actually practiced and didn't even succeed once without taking my finger and just pushing it up. Um, the same way you would do your biceps. But uh, she loved this guy. And it was, it was real, man, because he genuinely hated his boss, right? And that's why Vince McMahon was so smart. He gave the working man an opportunity to live out the fantasy of slapping your jerk boss across the face when he speaks out the side of it. And that is so satisfying to see as an audience member. And not to get too like psychological, but that's why we love John McClain from the Die Hard series so much, because he is the most relatable protagonist of all the 80s and 90s protagonists. His body's the most attainable. His hairline's the most attainable. His karate skills are the most attainable because there are none. He's just going to out average Joe you. You know, we had to, you, you can't relate to Rambo that much unless you're super jacked. You can't relate to Commando or the Terminator because you're not super buff. But we can relate to the John McClane character, which is, I think, why fans try to push the smaller guys so much in wrestling because we can relate to that more. But we'll get into that episode down the road. So, she turns on, the rock turns on the people. My grandma turns on the rock. My wife and my grandmother, her name was uh, Maria. They'd met. She loved her. My wife's very, very sweet. Um, as John Leguizamo told me, smart Puerto Ricans marry Jews. Uh, so I'm smart. Uh, and, and she's always taking, taking care of me. So uh, my grandma loved her and they got along great. And then about three months after that Christmas that we spent out there, my wife books this movie. And I get a phone call from my grandmother, Mary. I called her Mary. And uh, she's really upset. And she has this heavy Puerto Rican accent. And she says, your wife, Sarah Michelle? Your wife, Sarah Michelle? I said, yeah. What's wrong, grandma? She goes, she's working with The Rock. And I go, yeah, yeah she's working with The Rock. She goes, he turned his back on the people. He's the corporate champion. Bleep him. I don't know if I can curse yet. If, if I can, by episode three, I'll be cursing like a storm, but I'm trying to keep it together. When dealing with my grandmother, it's very hard not to laugh at her accent, right? Like my dad even had a joke about it because he introduced her to, uh, to Peter Falk, the great actor Peter Falk, who played Columbo. And I got to, one of my first movies was with him. And I told him the story and he actually confirmed it and told me it's true. And my grandma wanted to meet Peter Falk. And my dad said, okay, just don't call him Columbo. He, he friggin' hates that. Please don't do it. Ma. She goes, oh, don't worry. I'm not going to embarrass you. Don't worry. And so uh, he, he goes, ah, Peter, this is, my, this is my mother, Maria. And she goes, Columbo, I love you. And after they met, he goes, ma, I told, I told you, you don't call him Columbo. He hates that. She goes, with his last name and my accent, I can't take that kind of chance. Because it sounds like the F word, which I don't know if I can say yet. Um, so anyway, I'm trying not to laugh, but I know she's upset, but she's upset about pro wrestling. And then it all clicks. And I remember, oh yeah, he, he, he turned his back on the people. So my grandma, I don't hear some of the stuff in the middle cause she's pretty upset, but the call finishes before I say, I love you. And she hung up before she said, I love you too, by the way. She says, you tell Sarah, she takes that movie. She's dead to me too. I'm not joking. And I'm not joking when I say this. They never spoke again. She never spoke. And, and, and the movie didn't do that well. And my grandma like checked to like make sure. And she was happy 
when the movie died. It didn't even, re- I don't think it got distribution. I think it was like released in like independent theaters. And she was happy and pleased that The Rock's movies failed. Meanwhile, today she's rolling in her grave because The Rock's the most successful dude on the planet is probably going to run for president one day. <laughs> and that'll get her to come back from the dead. But that's how hardcore, that's how serious the connection was for her. And she passed that passion to me, and then I interpreted it in my own way. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, in 1988, I'm 12 years old, and, uh, you know, the, the secret is out on wrestling, right? For the 99% out, but there were a lot of us that were still holding on, even though we knew. And I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, at my second school in one year. I was going through puberty. I didn't have a dad. My godfather's Bob Wall. Uh, you can Google him if you want, or I'll tell you about him on another episode. But needless to say, I was getting in a lot of trouble. So I'm at this private school, San Diego Preparatory Academy. And uh, I was doing really well. I, even, I made it on the chess team as a sixth grader. And this was like sixth or 12. Um, and they let me be on their high school uh, chess team. My grades were good. I didn't always get good grades. Kids, if you're listening, work harder than me. Um, and there was this dude named Ray Garcia. And Ray, I'm sorry for saying your name. I, I love you wherever you are and whatever you're doing, and I wish you the best. But on this day, man, you crossed the wrong wrestling fan. So we're at lunch, and uh, I'm talking to my cousin. My, he was my best friend. I call him my cousin, Chris Sandoval. And uh, this fool Ray comes up, and he, he, he hears us talking wrestling, and he says, you know it's fake, right? And it was like someone saying, like, you know your dad shot himself, right? Like that was the kind of, visceral emotional reaction that i couldn't help but have and then he said i got a curse on this one he said rick flair ain't shit and i i i like lost it i don't i lost it right because i 
all these guys were heroes to me as a kid. So, and I always liked the bad guys because the bad guys always won. Ric Flair always cheated. That's how he won. The, the Iron Sheik cheated. That's how he won. And I, I would literally look at my mom and be like, Mom, I look it. And she hated it, right? I started pulling for the bad guys in movies because of that. I never liked Paul Kogan. Andre the Giant's my favorite wrestler ever. So this guy spoke against one of the great villains who I think is a hero. And so I punched Ray right in his face. And this isn't the funny part. And he falls on the ground and I legit grab his left, his right leg and I step over it, spun around, put it over his other leg, like the number four. And I applied what we all now know as the figure four leg lock. Now, I had never done this before, but I had seen it done a thousand times. So the technique was flawless. I get on the ground and I execute the, the, what's, what you need to execute in the figure four. You put pressure on the leg that's bent over the other leg, like the angle part of the four, not the straight line of the four. And I've seen, you know, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat reverse this. So I got to be careful. If it gets reversed, I've seen the pain on, on Ric Flair's face, and it's no joke. Um, so I press down hard with my right leg, and I just hear a, and I let go right away. I almost threw up. And I, nobody said anything because it was loud. And then Ray just starts screaming, dude. And don't worry, I'm not going to tell everybody you were crying, Ray. I said screaming. Um, but he was crying big time. <laughs> and I knew right away. I was like, oh, my God, I just broke this guy's ankle. And I freaked out. I got so scared. I ran and got a teacher who bust themselves, by the way. I'm such an idiot. I should have just ran home. But uh, I went and got a teacher. And he had a legit broken ankle, had to be in a cast for however long you're in a cast, six to eight weeks or 12 weeks, whatever it was. And I felt so bad. So shout out to Ray Garcia. Um, but now you're kind of getting where the crazy comes from, right? Like my grandma didn't talk to my wife, uh, even on her deathbed. She had time. She was diabetic uh, and just refused to, to let that go. Ray uh, trashed, trashed uh, the nature boy, so he got his ankle broke, which leads us to uh, Orlando, Florida, and it was Ric Flair's retirement match, and he was wrestling against uh, Shawn Michaels. And we went out there early. It was me, um, Macaulay Culkin, and uh, a lot of the wrestling shows I go to are usually with a Culkin brother. Um, one of them has been thrown out for throwing a beer on the big show, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to rat him out, though. But uh, it was me and Macaulay. We were sharing a hotel room, and our hotel room was right next door to the Snoop Dogs. And uh, they brought, like, a garbage bag of marijuana into there, by the way. I'm not exaggerating. Um so we're there and Saturday was the hall of fame speech. And this was when everyone hated John Cena and uh, they booed him while he was like trying to give this speech about somebody who was going into the hall of fame. <laughs> it was a, a poor showing on the fans part, but they were mad. You know, John Cena represented a different kind of WWE than what they were wanting at that time. But he had to, cause the company was PG, but we'll get into the business of WWE in a, in another episode. Um, cause I actually know a ton about that from Vince, from the, the horse's mouth, so to speak. So we go to that, we meet a bunch of the wrestlers and I meet this lady who works there who kind of helped, uh, do the invites and, and she tries to book celebrities and things like that, uh, for WWE events. And we, we chatted up at like the, the, the hall of fame party or whatever it was. 
And then everybody goes home, goes to bed. And the next day is WrestleMania. And uh, we're there and we're watching the final match. And it's the whole, I'm sorry, I love you. Super kick to the face, right? And everybody goes crazy. And I think we had a bet on another match. And Mac, every wrestling match I've ever bet Macaulay on, I've lost. He always knows who's going to win. He could write wrestling in his sleep. He never has. He should. Um, but he literally, he bet he's going to win. And we bet a hundred bucks a match. That's what we would do. And, uh, I would, you know, end of the night, you're out, you know, 800 to a thousand bucks anytime that you go with him to a wrestling match anywhere. So I'm talking to, uh, to this nice lady and I don't know if she wants me to say her name, so I'm just going to keep it out. And, uh, she says, wow, you should, you should, uh, talk to Stephanie McMahon. You got some, some really cool ideas about wrestling. Cause we had talked about like the old school versus the new school and where the happy medium is, is there a happy medium, that kind of stuff. And, uh. I was I was kind of done acting. I was like, yeah, you know, okay. I was like, I, I'm staying in New York. It was, my wife and I had an apartment out there then, and uh, I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the train up and I'll come. I'll sit and I'll meet I'll meet Stephanie McMahon. That'll be cool. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think it's uh, Wednesday because they had a Monday Night Raw and they shot SmackDown on Tuesday nights back then. Um, so on Wednesday, I take the train to Stanford, Connecticut to Titan Tower. And this is the building that had the same gym with the pink and purple neon lights that Vince used to work out in where he blew out uh, both his quads or something like that. So it's the same building that I saw as a kid. So I'm already like getting kind of tingly, right? Because I just remember the old days. And uh, I was kind of like, what's the word? Disenfranchised with my business, if that's the right word. But you know what I mean. And I was wanting to retire all the way if at the very least I had a foot and a half out, right? And so I go and I sit with Stephanie and we just start talking wrestling and characters and, you know, characters who maybe seem stale and couldn't get over. And 
they would challenge you with like, well, how would you get this character over? And, and really just on the spot kind of thinking, right? So you got to be quick and fast and my improv skills are good. And we're going to get into that in an episode where we did acting class with professional wrestlers and we did literal like acting techniques and things like that. And there's some really great stories in there and they shined like the stars they are. It was amazing. But uh, so I'm in there with Steph and we're talking about this stuff and we start talking about acting workshops and things like that and techniques and stuff to make people feel things, uh, little cheats you can do here and there. Our meeting's not over. And she says, you have to talk to my dad. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, you have notes, you have notes on, on the brand, but you're not crapping all over it. And you come to the table with ideas, not just, oh, that sucks. Well, what would you do? I don't know, but it sucks. Like, I would have three or four ideas for everything. So she would say, hey, what would you do with Kane? I'd say, oh, this. Oh, how about this? Oh, what about this? And just try to, you know, build it up. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, five, six, seven ideas. So I'm like, I can't, I'm not seriously going to meet Vince McMahon right now. Like, this is crazy. So this all happens in a day, you guys. So um, I shake hands with Steph. I haven't met anyone else. I go into Vince McMahon's office. He has this uh, dude outside on his desk, this cool guy named Jimmy. I think he was like ex-army, ex he's ex-military for sure. And a serious dude, but a cool cat. And uh, he looked out for me when I was there, when not everyone did, and we'll get into that. But, uh, but yeah, so I go into Vince's office, and I have a very similar conversation that I had with Steph. You know, we're just talking about the characters and, and the reason two people will fight, right? That's the story. And so he hits you with like, you know, wrestler X is John Cena, wrestler Y is, is Randy Orton. I want him to wrestle at WrestleMania, get me there in a way that we haven't gotten there before. And so we would start talking about stories, things like this, bringing these other guys in is like red herrings, which is like a decoy, right? And uh, I grew up, I told you the part with my dad earlier for two reasons. One, so you understood the Puerto Rican connection, but also not growing up with a father, I'm a sucker for him, okay? I'm a, I want to please my boss. I want to please people that I looked up to when I was younger, right? It's just, it's just something anyone without a father or a mother can relate to this. Um, so I'm sitting in there, and he calls me son. And he says, well, I think we could really use you here, son. And he puts out his hand, and I'm like, well... In my head, I'm like, hold up. I don't, I haven't even like seen a contract or we haven't spoken money. And this guy's putting out the let's make a deal hand. But because he says, son, that's that's kryptonite. And he did it to me twice, that son of a gut. He got me to come back with the same technique. Um, so that one's on shame on me. Um, so I shake the man's hand. I haven't even spoken to my wife yet. She was in LA. And uh he goes, All right, so uh We'll send you guys, we'll send your, your people, whatever they got to get to you. And uh, we'll start you next week, next week. Okay. It's a Wednesday. So I get on the train. I may have spoken with Stephanie again after I don't remember. I get back on the train and I go back to my apartment. I call Sarah and I say, uh, Hey, so I just took a job working for the WWE. <laughs> she says, what? You, you're going to be a wrestler. I said, no, nah, um, I think I'm going to write and I think I'm going to teach him how to act. She goes, no, you're not. You're an idiot. I go, I'm, Sarah, I met with Vince McMahon today. She goes, you didn't meet with Vince McMahon today. I said, Sarah, I shook, I shook his hand. I said, yes, in the room. She goes, why would you do that? And I told her the son thing and she laughed. She goes, oh my God, you're so stupid. She was like, but I support you. If that's what you, that, I told you my wife's the coolest. She goes, if that's what you want to do, 
She was like, try it out. She said, don't get fired. I said, that's why Steph wants me to, to, uh, to take the job because she thinks I'm not afraid to get fired. So I'll kind of speak my mind more. Um, I think everyone has some fear of, of job termination, but for whatever reason, the longer I was there, the less I, I worried about it. But in the beginning, I was still a little nervous. And so, uh, so Sarah goes, okay. She goes, so you write wrestling. And she goes, when are you coming home? I said, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they want me to do. So here was the deal. They sent me a contract and, uh, I don't want to throw out like exact numbers. Cause I don't know if their business is public or not. So we'll say it was, we'll say it was $250,000 and, uh, to write for them per year. And it was a number that they, they weren't going to budge from. And so I said, you guys can keep all that money and just give me stock. I'll just take stock in the company and, and bet on myself. Right. Again, cause I was just dumb. And so, uh, against my manager's advice, that's what I did. Um, and signed the contract and the deal was for me to travel to every single Monday night raw and every single shot on Tuesday, but airing on Thursday, I believe was the date of SmackDown back then. So we would shoot raw and SmackDown. I would be at all of those tapings and I would be in the office every single week. Um, and that was the job. I took it and I went in storming and we'll finish with this story because it's awkward, horrible, and really funny. So I get to work, I get to work. I wanted to bring like a lunchbox. I didn't have one. I took the train to work. I'd never done that in my life. New Mexico, there's no trains taking you places. So I'm a, I get there to Titan Tower. I, I they take a photo so I can do my badge. So, you know, I have full access to Titan Tower. I can go to the gym if I want. They have a cafeteria in there where they're serving food. They have like the media department where they were doing like not magazine stuff, but whatever like the digital stuff was at that point. Then they have like the writer's room, then the writer's floor, I should say creative's floor. Then they have the executive's floor. And then on the very bottom is like the merch floor, right? Where the, you can get like old DVDs, which I grabbed everything I could and just watched and studied right away. Um, so I get there, I'm super excited. And I meet my superior, Michael P.S. Hayes. And yes, the P.S. stands for Pier 6. He do, do, do. So Michael, who's seen it all, now has to deal with this Hollywood guy coming into his writer's room. And he's supposed to teach me the wrestling business, right? And I'm supposed to, you know, write better scripts. And nobody's been told anything about the other person. So I get in there. I have my meeting with him. And he's awesome, okay? He couldn't have been cooler to me. He had just been in some trouble at the company, is what I was told. So he was kind of humbled a little bit. And maybe that's why he was nice. But Michael and I, by the time I left, were really, really tight. So he kind of breaks it down for me and he says, here's what you're going to have to do. Uh, here's how many wrestlers you have on the TV roster that are going to be working. Um, and you have to give me stories, four weeks of stories for all of them. And most of the time it's not going to go through because there's not going to be enough time in the show. But that's your job no matter what. I said, cool, that's my job, that's my job. While I'm having the meeting with him, they knock on his door and they say, Vince wants to see Freddie uh, in his office. And Michael's like, you need to go. <laughs> so I get up. I'm like, what the hell is this? And uh, I go into Vince's office. And there's this other dude sitting in there named Brian. And uh, I sit on the other side. And Vince shows me the Monday Night Raw script. And he says, Brian, this is Freddie. 
Brian, Brian. Hey, man, nice to meet you. Brian's, hey, hey, nice to meet you. And Brian's looking warily at me, all right? He's, it's like all side-eye. He's like, what is, what is going, well, who is this guy? And I'm sitting in there like, what, what am I doing in here? Who am I? So Vince shows me the script, and he goes, Brian, Freddie's here to help out with all the, uh, the scripts and the dialogue. I'm going to have to send you back to the drawing board on this one. He hadn't even read it yet, okay? Brian visibly and audibly snaps a number two pencil in half upon hearing this. He snapped a lot of pencils. Um, and uh, he goes, okay. And this big sigh just, and he grabs the script and Vince looks at me and kind of smiles. And I'm literally like, he's, this is a test. Like he's trying to see, He's going to pit me against these guys and see if I can friggin' take it. This is who this guy is, right? And uh, so I'm like, all right. And I, I don't mind the challenge. So I walk out. And uh, Brian is not waiting for me, by the way. He's already like halfway down the hall. I, I catch up to him and I say, hey, man, that's, a, that's a, just a terrible way to have to meet. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm not here to rewrite your stuff, dude. He goes, this is because of you, man just straight up all cards on the table right away. And I was like, oh no, this guy hates me. Now he did. But by the time I left, Brian and I were really tight too. We're not, I wouldn't, we're not like friends. We don't send each other Christmas cards or anything like that. But if we ever see each other or randomly like are on the same chain on a social media thing, it's always all love. And I always check in on him and he's, he's a good dude outside of his sports team affiliations. Um, so I'm sitting there like they just, I mean, he literally threw me in the fire day one. So I go back into the writer's room and, uh, Freebird goes, how's your meeting? And he has this huge grin because he knows, he knows like this is a, a routine for Vince. He just, any of the, cause I wasn't the first Hollywood writer they had there. They brought writers from like USA TV shows in there all the time. And we're going to get into some of those in future episodes. But now I go, I go, yeah, everything's fine. And he goes, so are you ready to work on some storylines that are going to get cut every week or not? And I literally was like, I sat there, I sat down, I opened my computer and I just started writing. Um, we're going to get into the process of writing at WWE, the, the pain of getting your ideas killed, the glory of getting your ideas over. I'm going to talk about some wild pitches that were given to me by wrestlers, some really great pitches that were given to me by wrestlers some crazy on the road moments. I have one, I've told this story before to, to friends, but uh, the suitcase at Terminal Velocity during an ice storm is still one of my favorite stories. And I'll share that in greater length because this isn't someone else's podcast. It's my podcast. That's all for this episode. I want to thank all you guys for, uh, for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, Please share, please subscribe. That's all for now, but I'll see you guys in the next episode of Wrestling with Freddie. This has been a production of iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. 
diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos, Estamos en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar 20 en español.com. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.